wasabi wallet. Unfairly private. What's up, everyone? I'm Ben with the BTC Sessions, and this is your daily session. Huddle that Bitcoin. Before we dive in, I want to give a shout out to sponsors of the show, Ledin.io. This is where you can use your Bitcoin for a bunch of different things. I've been working with these guys since spring of 2019, so over a year now. Um, and they've got a whole bunch of different stuff that you can use. The first thing I ever used them for was their Bitcoin backed loans. This is where you can use your Bitcoin as collateral to get a Canadian or US dollar loan. So in my instance, I was in a pinch. I needed some dollars. I did not want to sell my Bitcoin and I was able to utilize this, get dollars in my bank account within 24 hours. And when I paid back those dollars, I got the exact same Bitcoin back. Uh, now they've got a few other things here as well. They've got their Bitcoin and USDC savings accounts where you can earn up to 7.5% interest. And they've got B2X, which is using the same loan mechanism to instantly buy more Bitcoin, effectively doubling your Bitcoin on the spot. So if you want to check them out, there is a link in the show notes down below. And if you use that link to get a loan, they will actually give you 50 bucks worth of Bitcoin for free. And secondly, we have CoinGuards. I first used these guys six years ago, hard to believe. Um, but I was living on Bitcoin at the time as a bit of an experiment. And uh, and yeah, they've been going strong ever since. Really simple, use Bitcoin to buy gift cards. So if you're trying to make that transition of trying to uh, rely less on banks and a little bit more on Bitcoin as I was at the time, um, and I continue to be, well, this could be a spot for you to do it. They have pretty much everything that you can need here. Um, and again, they accept Bitcoin on main chain and lightning. Or if you have some shit coins that you want to dump and get something of value, you can always do that here as well. Uh, be sure to check them out. There's a link, as I said, down in the show notes down below. Can't say anything but good things about coin cards. With that, let's dive into the news. Uh, so there was a survey recently um, asking people who they trust more, Bitcoin or big banks. Uh, so I'm going to read a little bit of this article from Cointelegraph. So the survey results are in. There is almost an equal split on the issue of trust, Bitcoin or big banks. There has also been an incredible change in attitudes over the last three years on the issue. So tokenists surveyed just shy of 5,000 uh, respondents in 17 countries about their attitudes towards Bitcoin. It also compared its findings with responses from previous similar surveys. This allowed uh, it to observe how the attitudes have changed over time. So when you look at the changes here, um, you have total of all respondents um, comparing. You have... Uh, as far as who who trusts what more. Um, now, you have, in terms of Bitcoin, uh, it went up from 40, sorry, it went up by 29% across all respondents. So it's now at 47% of people, basically half, trust Bitcoin more than the big banks. So there's been a notable change, like a third of all people um, have suddenly kind of change their opinions to to trust bitcoin uh, more than banks now millennials seem to be leading the pack uh 51 percent so just uh, a few points higher than the rest that's up 24 percent from 2017 um, and then when you get into obviously the older age groups like 65 plus of course you know they've grown up with banks their entire lives they're not 
particularly in some instances technically savvy. So there's a lot more questioning there. So that's uh, actually dropped by 1%. So 7% of anybody 65 plus trusts Bitcoin over big banks, 93% preferring the big banks. Um, and again, they've got some interesting uh, overall kind of macro views of, of what's happened. They split it male, female as well. Um, uh, oddly enough, uh, females are, are growing a little bit, 36 versus 64, whereas males a little bit more inclined. And by a little bit, I mean a lot, 54 to 46 when it comes to Bitcoin versus big banks. Um, anyways, interesting to see mostly, most notably uh, 2017 versus now, given that from 2017, we've had an extended bear market and yet still the trust in Bitcoin has gone up. Um, since those all-time highs that we haven't yet revisited. So it just kind of goes to show you this state of trust in the system right now is, is incredibly low. Uh, so let's move on here. Uh, CoinSquare, CEO allegedly forced employees to fake exchange volume. So I'm just going to read a little bit here. Cole Diamond, CEO of Canadian crypto exchange CoinSquare, stands accused of wash trading after leaked messages allegedly show him commanding employees to falsify exchange volume. Decrypt has reached out to CoinSquare about the allegations and will update the story with responses. So those of you that don't know, wash trading is the practice of executing large internal trades to artificially bolster an exchange's volume. This creates the illusion of liquidity and popularity, enticing new customers. Uh, so this uh, report last March by Bitwise uh, found that like 95% of trading is falsified globally. Um, and, and that's not surprising when you look at something like coin market cap and you see the volumes and a lot of the top ones are shady ones you've never heard of. Um, but according to a June 13th report from Vice, uh, this is a practice CoinSquare knows all too well. In quote, turn it back on reads a leaked message obtained by Vice. The order apparently issued in March 2019, the month before the Bitwise report broke by Cole to a CoinSquare employee allegedly refers to the exchange's internal wash trading system. The system was allegedly turned off in preparation for a visit from the Ontario Securities Commission. Uh, the act of wash trading, however, violates Ontario securities laws. Compliance apparently wasn't the top of Cole's concerns when he learned that an employee switched off the system and quote, whoever took that, uh, whoever did that took zero steps to ensure that a massive change to how we are viewed externally would be enormous. Uh, so yeah, anyways, it just looks like he was more or less saying, yeah, turn it back on. We need to look bigger than we are, which man, there's been uh, just a string of bad news out of Canadian Bitcoin exchanges or crypto exchanges, I suppose. You know, it's, you had Quadriga before, which was global news. Then not long after that, you had Einstein, which lost another 20 million. I mean, Quadriga was huge. That was like 180, 190 million. Um, CoinSquare, or sorry, not CoinSquare, but uh, um, Einstein was, it lost like I think between 10 and 20 million. And then you see practices like this from CoinSquare, allegedly, um, where it's wash trading to entice people in. Just all around, not a great look. So uh, I guess we'll, we'll see if more comes out of this, but um, we'll see what the OSC says about it, the Ontario Securities Commission as well. Uh, but again, 
Come on, Canada. Let's get your shit together. Let's move on. Uh, Casa dropped Casa Wallet today. So they say it's a simple, secure wallet for Bitcoin. I guess their goal is to help out beginners with just kind of like a, a simple hot wallet without too much confusion around backups, okay? So it's the, the goal of this seems to be simplifying the backup process instead of having a 12-word seed. It does things a little bit differently, okay? So uh, the seedless setup, here's how it works. Users set up their wallet without needing to write down a seed phrase. The key is created and stored on their phone and an encrypted backup is then split across CASA and the OS specific cloud provider, either Apple or Google. Neither CASA nor Apple or Google can access the decrypted key. Uh, this means only the user can retrieve the backup using two factors. And those two factors are the credentials for the cloud service and their CASA credentials. In an emergency, users can export their seed phrase from CASA app, even if they're offline, and safely recover their coins with open source software using our recovery guide. And then there's a note here, to open the CASA wallet or send Bitcoin, a second factor is always required, which is typically a fingerprint, face ID, or PIN. And to export the recovery key or the recovery seed, you'll also need to re-enter your password. Uh, so again, the goal here seems to be a simple Bitcoin wallet that takes instead of the 12 word seed something a little bit simpler and more automated um, and a little bit more traditional in just using basic credentials that you would already have to encrypt and decrypt your keys now i also looked and some of the criticism here seems to mostly be around the fact that this wallet is closed source um, which for me yeah, I mean, it's not a great selling point for me when it says it's closed source. Uh, I likely, I don't know if I would use this. I'll probably play around with it. Um, at the very least, I wouldn't put much on it. But if it's a hot wallet in the first place, of course, I'm not going to put much on it. I don't want to be carrying around thousands of dollars in my pocket. That's not secure. I wouldn't do it with cash either. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I get the idea. I, I don't mind the idea of encrypted backups, but again, on a cloud service, I don't know. Um, it, for me, I'm, I'm, a, I'm obviously you're seeing, I'm conflicted on this one. For some users, this may be uh, an easier option than being trusted to keep their backups safe themselves. Um, but for others, maybe not. So again, I guess you kind of have to use your discretion, but keep in mind, it's closed source and you're gonna have an, albeit encrypted backup somewhere on a cloud service and whether or not that can be uh, somehow gotten a hold of uh, via your phone, if it gets compromised, I do not know. Um, I would have to see a more in-depth analysis of this, but Either way, uh, I do appreciate that CASA is trying to streamline things and make it a little bit easier for new users to still self-custody, but to not be overcomplicated. Uh, now, moving on, came across this today. Uh, it's called KYCNOT.me. Okay, this is a website, KYCNOT.me. Uh, and this is a website that essentially has a whole bunch of non-KYC ways to obtain Bitcoin. Or, well, they have Monero in here as well, but, you know, Bitcoin. <laughs> um, regardless, uh, this is the why. Why are they doing this? Uh, and so this is um, from their, their GitHub here. They say, why this? 
They say cryptocurrencies are meant to make a change on the way we pay and exchange goods. They are made to untie the dependency between the users, in brackets customers, and the centralized entities that are in control, law enforced, of our economy, example, banks, Fed, etc. KYC and AML exchanges are the most common nowadays. They act exactly like a bank when using their wallets. Most newbies or traders do so. You usually don't own any private key, so the funds aren't fully yours. They own your keys, if there are any keys that belong to you. They also require you to identify yourself in order to operate, unlike with a photo or ID. And all of this together goes against the most valuable benefits of cryptocurrencies. With KYC Not Me, I wanted to, the creator of this website, I wanted to uh, make it easier for people to find trustworthy ways to buy, exchange, trade, and use cryptos without needing to identify themselves and preserving the decentralized and self-governed essence of cryptocurrencies. That's a lot of use of the word cryptocurrencies. Anyways, um, I do like... I do like that uh, he's aggregating some of this information here. Um, he does go into why only Bitcoin and Monero. So this is his uh, description here. Bitcoin, because it's the biggest, the most market cap, most adoption, and the most used among all cryptocurrencies. Monero, because it is true digital money, the only one that preserves privacy by design and brings true fungibility. I can appreciate that of anything. If he was going to add a shitcoin, he would add Monero. Um, Again, like of the privacy coins, I think Bitcoiners are most tolerant of Monero. The one, um, I suppose, the the one criticism of Monero, other than like just network effects not being there, is that by obfuscating the amounts that you're sending, if there was an inflation bug, it might be difficult to discover that. And thus the value proposition of a capped issuance is is not possible also i don't even think that monero has a cap uh but anyways as a, as a means of transacting privately well i mean i understand i understand his motivation there regardless uh so on this website here he's got uh, a number of sites listed so he's got trade ogre hodl hodl bisque uh, there's a whole bunch of different ones simple swap uh exchange.me whole bunch anyways there's a legend and it tells you uh, how and why this, this works. So um, it has, if it's been tested by him or several trusted users, if, it, if the site has a custodial wallet or not, um, account creation requires personal information, no personal information, um, whether or not you need an actual account, um, if you can get refunds without KYC, um, if the service is actually peer-to-peer, um, yeah, whether it uses Tor, if you can use cash, all of this different stuff uh, that is all included in the legend there. And then, yeah, you can basically go through, see what features each site has, and then go to the one that applies to you. Now, I have heard most of Hoddle Hoddle and Bisk. I do have Bisk downloaded, although I have yet to actually execute any trades on it, but it, I do find it interesting. It does have a lot of great features. Um, Hoddle Hoddle, again, uh, good, like, peer-to-peer -peer way of transacting um, but it depends on what you're looking for uh, definitely worth taking a look at if you have yet to do any peer-to-peer -peer, uh, transacting just just be careful again look at people's trading history uh, whether or not they've got good ratings and if somebody has no ratings um, tread lightly be careful moving on uh, wasabi wallets advisory for trezor users so 
I'll just read from this and then I'll fill in the blanks for any of you that may not be privy to what is going on here. So, too long didn't read. If you're a Wasabi Wallet user with a Trezor device, please don't update your Wasabi Wallet installation and Trezor devices to version 2.3.1 for the Trezor Model T and version 1.9.1 for the Trezor One yet, or you may get locked out of your Bitcoin until, you f until we fix the issue. Please update both when we've published a new version of Wasabi Wallet with our official channels. So preamble here, last Wednesday, Satoshi Labs, uh, the makers of Trezor, disclosed a security vulnerability in the partially signed Bitcoin transaction specification, which is called BIP-174. Long and short of it, this can potentially um, steal some of your Bitcoins by purposely forcing you to pay higher minor fees without you realizing it. That's if it's exploited. So um, the odds of this happening, I'm not quite sure, but who would benefit from this would likely be a miner themselves trying to execute this en masse. Um, anyways, the vulnerability was fixed on Trezor devices, but this unfortunately broke the compatibility with hardware interfaces for third-party software. So things like Wasabi, BTC Pay Server, even Electrum. Um, as a result, Trezor devices updated with the newest firmware um, are not working with Wasabi and other software wallets. So if you're using a Trezor with Wasabi, which I do, uh, basically don't update until you see something from Wasabi saying, hey, we've fixed this, it's all good. And at that point, you have to update both is my understanding in order to have it work. Um, a little bit about the exploit. Essentially what it does is it will, when you're trying to send Bitcoin out, typically what you're signing for is you're signing a transaction that says you want Bitcoin to go to a designated address. And then you're signing saying that I want some other Bitcoin to go back to myself in change. Um, what it will do in this instance is it will get you to sign the outgoing transactions and then it'll give you a fake error. And by the way, you have to have malware on your computer in order to have this executed on you. But um, it gets you to sign a couple transactions as if you were about to do it, then it feeds you an error and says, oh, we need you to do that again. And it looks as if everything's all fine. And you go to sign again quickly without investigating what's going on. And it changes the fee that you're paying on your Bitcoin transaction uh, to include quite a bit, although it will look like the same amounts and that massive minor fee will go up. So you could potentially lose you know, however much is in your wallet, depending on, you know, the UTXOs that are sitting there. So either way, the long and the short of it is please be careful. Do not update either one um, if you haven't done so already. If you have done so, don't panic. You're t yes, you're temporarily locked out, um, but just wait. There will be an update for both Wasabi and Trezor has already been updated, but when you update the two in tandem, once that fixes there, it should be fine. But for now, sit tight, don't do a thing. Moving on. Uh, in the same vein of privacy, kind of, uh, we were just on Wasabi. Uh, there's a good article on BitcoinQ&A.com. It's talking about dealing with CoinJoin, particularly the change outputs. And so if those of you that haven't partook in CoinJoin, essentially your commingling your coins with other individuals and sending back yourself the same amount and 
by doing so, you're breaking the links between you and the coins that you own. So people can't necessarily trace what you have and where you have it, which could potentially protect you from prying eyes and individuals targeting you for the Bitcoin that you have. Um, but in doing so, uh, you have to be aware of how you're dealing with the post mix, and which means the coins that have been mixed and the coins that have not. Usually when you're using coin join, you'll get very specific set amounts of Bitcoin at the end of a coin join. And you'll have some change from that that has not been mixed and is in some ways still linked to you, especially if you bought it through a KYC exchange. What you do with this change is important. If you combine it with something that's already mixed, well, you've just undone the coin join, right? Because you've linked coins that you own with coins that have not yet been linked to you. Um, and so you don't want to do that. So what do you do with what's known as doxic change, change that can identify you? Um, and this article goes through what doxic change is and how to deal with it. So things like mixing it in a smaller pool. If you're using Samurai Wallet, you can mark it as do not spend. So it, it's in the wallet, you still control it, but it is not spent until you designate a, a way to spend it. You can merge it with other doxic change outputs and then mix it, which not as recommended, but still you could do worse things. You could use something called stowaway, which is a, uh, what is that pay to end point? This is where you combine you combine coins with another person who's in front of you also using Samurai Wallet. Um, and it, again, it doesn't show where the coins are going and you're allowed to essentially send a transaction to somebody, but anybody on the outside looking in doesn't know exactly how much was sent because the other person contributes coins to that as well. Um, you can use swap services, you can buy gift cards, uh, you can go to coin cards, uh, you could go fund a lightning channel, you could give donations, you could do a lot of different things with it, but it basically it goes through what your options are in dealing with coin join change outputs. So if you're getting into Bitcoin privacy, it's worth a read. I definitely encourage you to do so. Um, I've done videos on both Wasabi Wallet and Samurai Wallet, so feel free to check those out. It should be easy to search them up on YouTube, um, and hopefully that'll get you down that path. And last, I want to touch on a new Bitsy Academy uh, post that came out today from Emmy. Uh, thank you, Emmy, for writing this. Thank you very much. Uh, I was very happy with this. Uh, it I digress. Let's talk about what the article is. So the article is entitled Bitcoin Irreversibility in a League of Its Own, and it goes through the irreversibility of Bitcoin transactions and how that stacks up against um, traditional payment methods as well as altcoins, um, what it takes to reverse a Bitcoin transaction, when it becomes final, um, if ever, and and how that, again, how that stacks up. I really, really like it. One of the things I really loved is that she, instead of using the term blockchain, which is just used to death, she used the term time chain, which uh, funny enough, this is the original term that Satoshi actually used in the early days in some of the Bitcoin talk forums. Um, he never said the word blockchain. Blockchain is not even in the white paper whatsoever. That, that came afterwards, but it was not penned by him. He said time chain, long time chain, short blockchain. Um, anyways, lots of fun. If you're unsure of what makes a transaction irreversible, of if Bitcoin is irreversible, of if altcoins are irreversible, 
spoiler alert, they are. Um, anyways, if you want to learn about that, go check out this. And if you enjoy it, please do share it around. Uh, but I was quite happy this, uh, about this article. So again, thank you, Emmy, for writing this. Really enjoyed it. With that, I'm going to wrap up, you guys. Thank you so much for watching. If you're here on YouTube, please do remember to hit like, subscribe, and share. But also, go find me on another platform because I don't want to rely entirely on YouTube. I'm on Facebook Live. I stream live to Twitter. I'm on Twitch. I'm on DLive. Uh, I'm also audio only on pretty much everywhere, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, just wherever. Uh, if you want to help out the show in another way, you can hit up the sponsors I mentioned down below. That was Ledin and Coin Cards. You can also help the show if you aren't already using a hardware wallet and you need one. Uh, if you have Bitcoin and it's a meaningful amount, you probably do. It's a good idea to get it on a hardware device instead of just sitting on your phone or computer. Um, you can pick up a Ledger device. I use the Ledger Nano S and the Ledger Nano X, both for different purposes. Um, I do use other hardware wallets as well. Um, regardless of whether or not you use the, the affiliate link down below, do get yourself on a hardware wallet. It is very important in the long run. Uh, but if you do use the link down below to pick up either of those, you will help the show. And then finally, if you really liked what you saw, you can always drop me a lightning network tip at my tippin.me page. That is tippin.me slash at BTC sessions. Uh, once again, thank you guys so much for watching and I will see you next time for your daily session.